Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt A.K.A. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certainpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. Oh, I haven't done it in a while. I have to pull it up again. I know. Oh that's, my god, that's the my only, poor brain. That's the only thing being so far ahead and only having to record like once a month. It's just, it's I'm like, not a bad problem to have. I was, but. Like, I was like, how do we start this again? Please keep this in. Let's just keep this <laughs> All right, you ready, my Yeah, friend? let's do it. Actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. Back to exit stage death. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Emily Martinez, and I'm your other. <laughs> and I'm your other. Holy shit! We got it. We got it. The we got tip, it. the teeth, the tip of the tongue. <laughs> and I am your other co-host, Maddie Limerick. And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite, and sometimes floppiest Broadway shows. Ba, 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 ba. Hello, Hi. <laughs> Hi, Em. How are you? I, you know, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm queer. I'm used to it. <laughs> I am so happy that you were here with me. I know it's been a hard day for you, but I am happy you are here. And I'm happy you're here. Thank you. And I just have to shout out an amazing new follower we have on Instagram. It will not be new by the time this comes out, but it is new in this yeah. moment named Nikki, who sent us the sweetest message today that i know i needed it i know you said it made your day and so nikki just thank you for listening thank you for everyone listening just it's you know we do this for us but we're so excited that you guys are enjoying it so much and is tapping into all of the theater kids who were and still are uh and whenever y'all send us messages we see them we both see them and um they truly make our day mm-hmm. and give us the motivation to like want to keep telling stories I, like like Maddie said we we love to hang out have a have an excuse to hang out and chat this chat about this together but it also gives us a nice warm tingly feeling to know that y'all are listening and enjoying it too it, it literally is coming like days after Ellen and Joey have been um um touring for their like obsessed disappeared live shows um and and so and just seeing like all the nice messages everybody's been doing even though i was so upset i had to miss the orlando show um but to get like that message and all the really great interaction we have on social media from people it just you know i know we have a much smaller following but it just it it warms my dead gay heart so much, just so much. So we, yeah, me too. We appreciate everybody out there, out there. We love you. We need we you. We do. We do it for you. You do. You do. Your love, it it causes us. Oh my God. I, oh God. I can't even. Can't Daddy even, is in a trance. I can't even finish the bits today. I'm coming to you from my closet, literally. Who knew that a man would put me back in? Uh, 
But Maddie, get out of there. <laughs> get out. Listen, when you're in company housing, sometimes this is the only quiet spot. It's here the here are the bathroom, and I don't want to take up the shit from somebody who could need it. But I do I do have to say I haven't heard I mean I don't want to jinx it now but like I haven't heard anything on yours I was like it's so quiet thanks, over there. Well and we've got you know four very boisterous people who I all adore who I uh, live with while we are in rehearsals for the Jersey Boys um, and uh, yeah no they're wonderful but yeah it's uh, I think it's that I have enough clothing that it pads the sound coming through the wall. <laughs> Um, you know, you know, it's just so hard to join the union now. I mean, it's just it's so impossible. I just don't know how it you're going to figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but also, <laughs> I well, do I join and then never get a job because a thousand million jillion people are joining? What I tried to tell bills. It's what I tried to tell the kids uh, that I uh, taught at UF a lot was just like, only take your card when you've got the work to prove that you yeah. are worth seeing because just because suddenly they have all these new people, we all know how Bernie Telsey and Tara Rubin are. They're not going to just suddenly want to see more people, uh, but I would love that. I mean, speaking of Bernie Telsey and I'm just going out on a limb and assuming he did the casting for the show, but we have a wild ride of a show that you're bringing us today. I mean, truly, truly like, but like physically a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> like is, oh, so, and what are you covering today? Today, Maddie, we are covering a flippity flappity flip flap of a musical. Um, brighten it up, brightening up our our podcast a little bit. I mean, but not at the same time because there's some there's some shit that went down on this show uh, uh, today. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know anyone personally. I've met Reeve Kearney once, but. I'm sure that they he just likes to keep this out of his memory as much as he can. But I today we are covering Superman. Nope. <laughs> today we are covering. <laughs> I love it. I day. love it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. I love that show. <laughs> today we are covering Spider Man. Turn off the dark. Ba 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 ba. Ba da 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 da. Wait, that's uh, X-Men. Now this now. <laughs> Now, Maddie, this musical, this musical, this musical was the most financially ambitious flop that, as of right now, musical theater has ever seen. I, I honestly don't think anything's ever going to top it either because it's what, like $91 million or something was what was spent between the three different productions? Like something ridiculous I, like that? I didn't see that number at least so i only covered i'm i only got through the information just for the broadway run right so yeah. a combination of different productions yeah. most likely because of how wild this was but um spoiler alert this probably got up to i think it's like 75 billion in capital or at least in debt um for uh spider-man on broadway Ooh, so Ugh. It was such a disaster in so many different aspects that it literally became legendary in its own right. Mm -hmm. And it's wild that it's only, I mean, I just feel like I heard tall tales, some of which were true and some of which were not true. Of course, of course. Um, Because it was just like, did you hear? Did you hear? Mm -hmm. Like today, I was just like, when I was researching it, I was like, oh, this is what happened. And this is probably worse. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so it's, it's wild. Um, and as with many of the flops that we've talked about in the past, 
it's not actually due to the performance quality mm-hmm. of the people on stage, which I think sometimes now I don't want to like, and I think also it can be a combination of um, who is on stage and the performances on stage and the support that all the crew and and um, scenic design and all of those performative elements that make it happen. We're all in it together. It's it's the people who don't do the performing. It's the it's mm-hmm. the money. It's the decision making. That's where everything always seems to crumble. Um, so anything I say today is not about the performances that were on stage. Mm-hmm. Although I watched a, I got through a little bit of a um, a slime tutorial, and I just I was like I can't. I tr- I can't do it anymore. This is just It is tough. a two and a half hour power power ballad with like one great song in the middle, which is the villain's runway number. But yeah, like right. it's Is that the one that was on Letterman? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even that, even that, I was like, I don't know what the, the melody is. Couldn't I couldn't tell you what the melody was. So <sighs> sometimes having pop stars who don't know musical theater writing musical theater is hear me out a terrible fucking idea when you don't have an orchestrator like spongebob works because you have tom kit there to orchestrate the whole show and make it work like and that's why almost famous is gonna work yeah like literally (laughs) yeah that's why it's gonna be good um and that's why i'm gonna be in it putting it out on the podcast i will be in almost famous when I get the casting notification, I'll go, y'all, we manifested it together. Manifest. Anyway, manifest. Okay, so back to back to Spider-Man. So, now when I was first thinking about this episode, like I said, I kind of had all of these uh, imaginings of what mm-hmm. it was based off like rumors and stuff. And I guess I just thought that it was kind of a lot like Carrie, that it had a couple of actual performances and a couple of previews. Uh, no, honey. Year and a half. That would have been merciful. No, I think it was three years. Well, on and off, on and off. Yeah, but on like oh, true, once true, it true, like true. finally opened, it was like almost two full years it was running at the Lyric. Like it ran Wild. so long. It was on the Great White Way um, after many a setback, like you just said, 182 previews, 182 previews. And over a thousand shows, mm-hmm. like post opening, I, my, when I read that, I went, no, mm-hmm. no, that can't be true. Mm-hmm. That, but that's that. Normally, I'd be like, wow, what an achievement. But I'm just like, why didn't, why, why do they keep going? Why? I'll tell you why. And anybody who was in New York with me at the time knows it was really hard to get tickets to this show because international tourists were knocking down the doors. The Russians loved it. Any everybody went in the beginning. It's because everybody wanted to see a collision. They wanted to Mm -hmm. see something bad happen. And really, truly, once it opened, there were no more snafus. Um, but yeah, no, there was it was always impossible to get rush tickets. It was the hottest Wild. ticket in town for for the like while it was running. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. And basically it only stopped running because it was costing a million dollars a week yep. to do and it was ne- it had to sell out to to make back what it put in. It would have had to sell out every single show 
for seven years straight. And it was like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> like, you'd run out of, you'd run out of tenors. Mm-hmm. You would run out of tenors. Mm-hmm. Like, it just wouldn't happen. So, um, so yeah, it was just, it's, it's wild to me that, spoiler alert, that's how it ends. But, like, everything in between is just, like, how, how, knowing how it ends, how did we, how did we keep going? Um, so Spider-Man basically, Spider-Man the movie, uh, 2002, movie by Marvel starring Tobey Maguire really reset um, the, the the superhero um, path of TV film. It made everybody like, oh yeah, we really want to see this. We want this in our theaters. We want to experience this. We want to root for them. We want to hear the villain's uh, side of the story and like what they're, what they're about. And we want to know the origin stories of all of these characters and we want... We want everything. And, you know, Marvel is who Marvel is. And then DC is who DC is. And so all of these stories are being made into movies. And nostalgia and and comic book life is just exploding. And so, of course, Broadway's like, ooh, I want, I want part of that. I want money, too. Because we can make this something. Mm-hmm. And so um, eventually, honestly, not even too long after the first Spider-Man mm-hmm. movie came out, ideas of the show were being brought to different producers and one producer in particular tony adams um tony adams was a very well-known irish film and theater producer so he knew what he was doing he was very renowned everybody really liked him and um the the idea was brought to him and he was like yeah like i love this like let's do it like let's run with it i could definitely like i can definitely get people behind this and who does he take on? He wants to take on um, the most random team to do the music for this, Bono and The Edge. Now, can I just say, I always thought that The Edge was kind of like Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band. Like, I thought The Edge was like the rest of the band. I didn't know The Edge was one motherfucker. Yeah, it was just one dude. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, where's the rest of the band? that's the band mm-hmm. um and so i was like wow what a bizarre i was like okay well, i was like i guess they're irish like maybe they've worked together in the past like interesting and so really um you know they brought them on um as part of the team and apparently bono got inspired to actually start writing music for it after Andrew Lloyd Webber said something in an interview, and so it made Bono go, well, I want to do it now. Like, so fucking petty. So much of musical theater is so petty that, like, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber said, I'd like to thank rock musicians for leaving me alone for 25 years. I've had the theater all to myself. And so as soon as he said that, Bono was like, uh, hold my beer. I'm going to start writing musical theater now. And it was just like, wow. Wow, what a, what, like, just just a dick measurement contest like truly like that's all it was well and right after sting did the last ship which was a catastrophic disaster but it meant broadway got rachel tucker for the first time who is a legend Mm -hmm. but yeah no this was this was we were starting to see this weird emergence of like music stars wanting to come star in things on broadway and like write things because then you also had oddly enough steve martin with bright star like right after that so like it was this weird weird chain of things i know it's nothing new but it was just a weird moment in time but it's also like i i feel like and and anyone who's like a stand for these musicians like fine come for me but like i feel like musicians like that aren't 
truly storytellers mm-hmm. in their music. Like when you get people like Sarah Bareilles and um, Ingrid Michaelson, like I always feel like they're telling a story. In like there, there, there's usually like a through line of their songs, and um, and I mean that's why I find I found Waitress to be such a success mm-hmm. because there was so much heart and and character development in these songs. It wasn't just about the song. The song was beautiful in itself, but like you cared about what everybody was saying. And um, that's why I think if like Pink wrote a musical or Gaga wrote a musical, I think they'd be fucking dope mm-hmm. because they're they're good storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's just interesting. I mean, I'm always for a rock musical, but when it's just bad, I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't fucking care. Like I'm like, I just don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but so those those that so those are the members of the team. Um, along with along with Bono and the Edge, um, the, they did the music and the lyrics and the book. Well, we've just got a whole team of people mm-hmm. for the book. Uh, so it started out with just um, Glenn, this gentleman named Glenn Berger, who stayed the whole time, and then also the infamous Julie Taymor mm-hmm. of Lion King mm-hmm. and Across the Universe mm-hmm. and. And other and and, you and know, a and the worst version of Tempest that has ever been put on film ever. <laughs> oh, I never saw that. Oh God! On paper, Helen Mirren as Prospero sounds amazing. Reeve Carney as as the young man in that. Um, oh, I didn't know he was in that. Yeah. Oh, ru- like Alfred Molina, Russell Brand. Like it's a great fucking cast. It, yeah, it truly is. But a it was cast. a terrible fucking movie and too long. <laughs> okay. And I love the Tempest. Well, I- <laughs> Now I need to watch it. You should. I think it's on Amazon. <laughs> oh, great. And then added to the list later down the road is Roberto. I hope I pronounced this name. is a little hard for me. Aguera Sacasa. That might be absolutely wrong. He, and I do apologize. Yeah. Do you know who he is? No. He's the creator and showrunner and head writer of Riverdale and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, shut up. Yeah. He also wrote okay. a terrible play. Uh, about the Tempest called Rough Magic when he was graduating from <laughs> Yale. That is. Is this becoming a Tempest podcast? Uh, this might be the Tempest <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's wild. I designed a production of it at University of Florida. It is insane. Uh, yeah, it's not shocking to me at all that he wrote on this this musical at all. That's not surprising. And also, like Sabrina and Riverdale are so comic booky, mm-hmm. so it makes complete sense that, that he wrote those. Well, Archie Comics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, did he do Archie Comics? No, they. Well, yes, he actually did. Go, oh, that's right. Yeah. He, well, no, but Comics. he did take over, I believe, as head writer for Archie Comics for quite a while. Oh, cool. Because of like, because he has a. So part of he also wrote a play that's an alternative storyline of Archie Comics, where Archie is gay and uh, has mm-hmm. sex with Kevin. He has a weird kink for hot redheaded teenagers named Archie. I'm going to leave it at that. Everyone can take away from it what they will. But yeah, keep going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So truly, Maddie, I do think from the gate, like someone said the M word. Mm -hmm. Someone said the M word in a theater talking about this show because it's just like bad juju. It was Julie Taymor. It was just Julie Taymor. I mean, (laughs) and she was probably like, yeah, I mean, truly. Um, and it's and it pisses me off because I'm just like the one woman in the room, and you had to be a what you were an absolute monster, a monster. <laughs> and I'm just like for fuck. I was like, yes, women are monsters too, but if you're the one woman, come on! I got so pissed. 
Okay, so for starters, and this is a pretty big starter. So Tony Adams, our, our main producer, the one that's truly got his shit together, at least as much as you probably can at the start of a musical, or at least presented that he had his mm-hmm. shit together, um, was just like, hey, um, let's let's sign our contracts. This is all going to happen. Let's meet at, uh, at Bono's place and sign our contracts. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my God, so cute. Let's go. And they all meet. And uh, apparently Julie Tamer, Julie had signed hers. Bono had already signed his. And The Edge is about to sign it. And he goes, oh my God, I don't have a pen. Let me go get a pen. Literally. He goes, "Mm, I forgot my pen in the kitchen. He goes to the kitchen or he goes to wherever to get the pen. And in the time that he goes to get the pen and he comes back into the room, Tony is slumped over. The man had had a stroke in the time that he left to get a pen to come back. And he's rushed to the hospital, and within two days, Tony Adams passes away. And agog, aghast. Maddie is agog, aghast. Marius is not in love at last, because our main producer is gone. And so all of the decision makings, everything, is passed down to Tony's protege. And this was going to be a production, so his protege's name was, um, is David Garfinkel. Um, Garfinkel had, was an aspiring Broadway producer. He is, or was, I'm not sure what he's doing now. Didn't really look on it, but, um, he was an entertainment lawyer and a long time, um, aspiring producer, like I said, and he was using Spider-Man as a way to shadow and to learn how to be a Broadway producer from someone that like he'd been learning from, from a long time. And I really do think that he had all the best intentions. He just didn't know what he was doing. And since I think he was kind of probably had some financial stake in it, he stayed on as the main producer and literally everything fell onto his shoulders. And so being in the overwhelmed position, he should have given it up. He should have given it to another producer. He should have sold the show. Like who knows what could have happened, but he stayed on and he decided, okay, look, I'm going to do everything that I can financially and like figure all those logistics out. But like I, I'm giving basically all all artistic decisions to Julie Taymor. Like, run with it. Bad news bears. Because he trusted her. Bad, Bad news, news bears. bears. It did not go well, Mm-mm. Garfinkel. Not a good decision. Um, and according to an article by Patrick Healy, who we've talked about, I believe, in the past mm-hmm. on, the, on one of our episodes, um, he wrote an article talking about this and how he said, Garfinkel succeeded artistic decisions to Miss Taymor, a perfectionist, whose aesthetic included never repeating herself, which to me just says dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. So, readings for the musical um, started in 2007, but I believe that there was, from what I was reading and what I saw in this really great uh, video by uh, Waiting in the Wings, I think that's... Wait in the Wings. Great, great YouTube channel. Really unpacks a lot of different shows. Um, <laughs> literally said, like, um, believe there, he's like, I think there was only one workshop. Mm-hmm. Like, there was only one actual workshop of the show before they started its path to Broadway. Um, and this is the type of show that wouldn't be in a Boston, mm-hmm. wouldn't be in a Chicago. Like, mm-hmm. they're taking it directly to Broadway. Much like Carrie, and we all saw how that mm-hmm. went. Um, so, by early 2009... Uh, it was already estimated that they were $25 million in debt 
within the first like two years of putting the show together. And like, y'all, we've we we listened to Rebecca. We saw all the lengths and and um just not real people that were created for Rebecca, and that was what, fourteen million? Mm-hmm. Like seventeen million? And they didn't even make it to that amount of money of raising mm-hmm. that. It was wild. So that so by early 2009, 25 million in debt. Um, by March 2009, it was suspected that the cost uh, was going to be a record-setting 52 million. And then by the time previews actually started in 2010, it was set to cost 65 million. The I this like money doesn't like that money doesn't matter at that point. It's just like it's just numbers. Like what do you how what is that? What is that amount of money? I. I I have no idea what that amount of money is. Um, so I think we said it in the beginning that it would cost, it would estimate to cost $1 million a week at the Lyric Theater, but at the time it was still known the as the Foxwoods Fox yeah. Theater. Yep. Foxwoods, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was one of those um, spaces, like, in the time since I'd moved to New York, I think it's had five different names. Because it was the Hilton at one point as well. Like, it's been sold wild. so many times. Yeah. So, um, so why, why so much money? Well, it's because basically everything that they wanted to do in the theater to do the show that they wanted to make, they had to like mm-hmm. just rebuild so much of what was in the theater. So, um, the show, um, they wanted it to be as close as kind of like physically representative of the movie as possible. Um, cause they were like, look, we can't, there's so many elements of a comic book movie, a superhero movie that create through CGI, you can create with dummies and mannequins, but like, you can't do that on a stage. And like, obviously we know that, but it's like trying to translate what you see on a, in a movie that's to those proportions on a stage. They were like, we got to go big or like not go at all. Mm-hmm. Like there's no going home. It's just big. And so from what I saw, it really looked like they were trying to create like a comic book on the stage (laughs) and just so many different moving elements of set pieces um, and like trying to basically create fly rigging that just would would never have been invented in a Broadway theater. They were basically trying to do like their 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 highest aspiration, which I'm like, why didn't you just start there was to be like a Vegas, a Vegas show like a Cirque show um, where it's, it's like fitting the costume to the actor. Like mm-hmm. it's like they, they were trying instead of fitting a space, like creating a space to, to make a show happen properly with all of the rigging, with all the mechanics, the revolves and everything that you need. Why didn't you just do that? Instead, they're like, no, we're going to go directly to Broadway and we're going to try to make this box Mm-hmm. This small box fit an entire world, mm-hmm. and and it just like wasn't happening because the theater was built in 1920 mm-hmm. and like was probably just a movie theater at one point, mm-hmm. and um, so basically there was no fly rigging that what they wanted. They wanted to be able to they the show had like 27 aerial moments, mm-hmm. whether it was combat fighting, whether it was just flying over the Manhattan, whether it was, you know, set pieces flying, like, or just people suspended in the air for no fucking reason, except to be, Oh, that's cool. Um, so they basically were like trying to create that in the theater, but a lot of the molding and, and, and things that look like they were structural pieces of the theater were just decorative. 
because it wasn't meant to like sustain people and weight of all of the different proportions and what they needed it to do. So they were basically like gutting things in the theater, re like repurposing and, and rebuilding things in the theater to make things possible. And as, you know, quote unquote, safely as possible. Who knows what the codes were at the time, but we'll kind of talk about that a little later. And, and like, despite the wildness that happened, like, it is cool that the Lyric Theater now has those elements because that's why we can put shows like Harry Potter mm-hmm. there now because I, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but I know that there are a lot of magical elements yep. where people are flying. And so I'm like, well, they kind of they made it possible so they didn't have to probably do as much work mm-hmm. to create that show. And from what I've heard, I haven't heard a really bad thing about safety wise for oh, Harry yeah, Potter. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Well, I mean, it also helped that they had the entire L- London run to perfect yeah. what. But yeah, no. Cursed Child, terrible script, really cool tech stuff. But for sure. don't go see it because we don't want to give her money. That's true. Ugh. Can't have nice She doesn't, things. like, in my heart, she doesn't own it anymore, but I'm sure she makes some profit off of that show. Oh, she still owns everything. Oh, she sucks. Yeah. So due to um, different creative changes, injuries, money issues, like we said, the show had to go through 180, I can't get over it, 182 previews. And that means that people are still rehearsing during the day that aren't making their full pay. And and the amount of costuming and set design and lighting design that was constantly changing. Oh, I can't yeah. even imagine, like, the, like just people running on fumes. The show fully changed, like... Um, Multiple times. I, yeah, I don't want to step on the toes, but, like, there was an entire... Like, also, because Julie Taymor has an antiquities background and a lot of, like... Because she was a super privileged person, so she was mm-hmm. able to go just, like, study theater around the world. She has a really cool Bunraku theater, like, puppet theater background, which shows up yeah. in Lion King, shows up in this a little bit. But, yeah, so she has this yeah. super privileged background, so she has a lot of experience. But because of that, she's also never been told no. So, like, at one point, yep. there was, like, a Greek a Greek chorus in it called the Geek Chorus. and The Geek Chorus. The Geek Chorus. And, like... Um, my mentor in undergrad, her husband engineered a lot with the company that did all the comic book elements. So the buildings uh-huh. that opened up and moved. And a lot of that just got scrapped when they were moving from version to version to version. And that was a really cool element. Yeah. I was like, that looks really cool. I was cool. like, why did you cut that? <laughs> like, why? Like, I just, I, I, from what I saw, I saw basically the beginning to just the first couple scenes because I was like, your girl can't do mm-hmm. it. I just can't do it. It was like. The whole beginning with the arachna, um, which we'll talk about a little bit, of like her backstory. And I was like, this is a completely different show. Mm -hmm. Like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I was like, but I feel like I'm watching across the universe. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a different show. What's happening? Mm -hmm. We'll get into that. No, if anything, it felt like I was like watching an opera. I was like, this doesn't feel like a Broadway show. It feels like Wagner. It feels very much like Rain Cycle. It feels like the Magic Flute. Yes. I mean, and that's... if you wanted to do that, just bring it to fucking Vegas. Just start there. Or it should have been an honestly, superheroes to me should be opera, not musical theater mm. on that well, scale. Well, apparently that's what I think that was kind of in a way. They wanted what a rock Anna opera. Yeah. To, yeah, but it was like. <laughs> Sir. It just got watered down in so many ways. Like, you can't write that. If you can't, if you don't, if you don't write it for yourself, don't try. And if anything, a lot of the songs just sounded like bad Bono songs. They all like, were. These are all the same. They're just mm-hmm. the same chord progressions. Mm-hmm. This is boring. Before a lot of the wildness was happening, 
we already had stars that were involved that were like piecing out. So um, originally it was supposed to be Evan Rachel Wood as Mary Jane mm-hmm. and Alan Cummings as the Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always Reeve Carney uh, mm-hmm. playing Peter slash Spider-Man. And if you don't know, Reeve Carney um, has been playing... Um, Orpheus. Oh my gosh. Orpheus. Uh, for a very long time in um, Hades Town. Uh, but Wood and um, Cummings were literally like, I, at, at basically the, the minute things started getting fishy, there, <laughs> I wrote this one down, this uh, pun down, uh, their spidey senses were tingling <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they were like, no, I'm out. I have quote unquote uh, schedule conflicts. Um, and they were just like, uh, uh-uh. uh. I think what is it, Alan? Uh, Alan, first name basis. Was quoted saying like, "Oh Jesus Christ, I'm so happy I got out of that. What a nightmare!" It's like, yeah, you really did. You really did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were cast uh, with Broadway royalty now, Patrick Page, mm-hmm. who's very like looks so much different without his white hair. It's wild. And um, and new and uh, up and comer Jennifer um, Damanio, that well, no. Damiano. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jennifer. Jennifer Damiano. Um, and she was in Next to Normal. Um, Spring Awakening. Spring Awakening. So, uh, really great voice. Natalie Mendoza, who just recently played um, Satine on Broadway, was in Baz Luhrmann's movie of Moulin Rouge. Uh, she made her Broadway debut, or was meant to make her Broadway debut, uh, playing the character Arachne, mm-hmm. who's like the Greek goddess that was a spider and I don't even I, I was like I can't even figure out what like was a weaver of some kind and then challenged Athena and then Athena's like you lose I was and then she kills herself. I didn't That's understand weird. why of all the things they needed to rewrite and re-envision for the show was Peter Parker's like origin story. origin story like are you fucking kidding me like make the spider yeah. a fucking character but you don't need to make her the goddess of of arachnids and like you've always been chosen peter parker and it's like no the whole reason peter parker is great is because it could have been anyone and it chose and it's like a kid and the kid chooses to be great Mm -hmm. it's amazing Ah, i can't um so um but so natalie mendoza was playing uh during all of the most of the previews uh unfortunately though on the first night of previews a poor girl um, gets a horrible concussion by getting whacked with a piece of equipment in the wings. And and she basically, like, stayed on for a little bit and then saw someone else get really mm-hmm. badly injured and was just like, I'm I'm out. I'm out. I can't do it. And, that and then ar- she was taking... Sorry, go ahead. And then, uh, and then TV Carpo took over mm-hmm. for her. And then America Oliva will, uh, took over. And then I just... What I was watching, Christina Lank was mm-hmm. in it. Um and it was just bizarre. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what I'm watching. This is just bizarre. Um, that costume was 80 pounds. That spider, the original spider costume. So by the time Christina opened the show as Arachne, yeah. they took yeah. three quarters of the costume. They it took three less. quarters of the costume away from her. Yeah, they scrapped a lot of it because it was, it was a huge, uh, like it was a massive strain on the flies. It was a massive strain on mm-hmm. the actress. Like it was a, a huge pain in the yeah. ass. So, so basically, she's wearing this long white gown that's just so much material suspended up in the air. Um, and on the previews, the first night of previews, and this is pretty much at the beginning of the show. Like, it's like the opening of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, previews 
the preview was like so much longer than it was supposed to be because of all the show stops that had to happen. It started like 25 minutes late. And um, and then <laughs> Natalie Mendoza is the, the wiring malfunctions and she's just stuck for eight minutes dangling, not able to do anything. How horrifying Mm-mm. to be just like your first preview just dangling in front of an audience like embarrassment and like what do you do like i'd be like i don't know that that eight minutes that's so long mm-hmm. why did it take so long mm-hmm. and then she gets whacked in by equipment like i don't know how she st- stood on stayed on for the month longer that she did it's wild to me so along with all of that that happened to natalie um set pieces were just completely missing just like not there um there was another uh, Spider-Man stunt, like, swinger that, like, um, <laughs> swinger, that's funny, um, that, like, the stage manager had called a show stop, and I don't know if they should call the show stop before the fly was, like, go, was, like, malfunctioning, but they were trying, basically, crew members were trying to catch the feet of, of a Spider-Man that, like, he, he couldn't stop swinging, mm-hmm. and so... You know, audience members are just watching and laughing because, you know, they just see these guys trying to, like, grab at this Spider-Man actor's feet. And, like, what a nightmare. Um, And then intermission is, like, 45 minutes long. Mm -hmm. The whole show ended up being an hour longer than it was meant to be because of all the show stops. And of all things, Spider-Man... Like, the, the producers, like, they didn't invite any press Mm-mm. to the opening night. Mm-mm. But the press were like, oh, girl. We're here. We know you're opening. Mm-hmm. We're here. They all bought their tickets mm-hmm. individually and went and just massacred mm-hmm. them in, in the reviews. And it was never, the reviews were, it was never about the performances. Mm-hmm. It was just about everything else. Because they're like, no, everybody who's, they're doing their damnedest with what's been given to them. But, like, like Reeve, great. But, the material is just absolute shit. Mm-hmm. It's just garbage. Um, and, um, you know, they were just torn, torn apart uh, in the reviews. Ironically enough, this made everybody want to see the mm-hmm. show. No press is bad press, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing it with Funny Girl right now. Like, no press is bad press. People wanted to see this train wreck. They wanted to see the car crash happening. And, and it's sad because it's just like, gosh, the work that these actors are putting in is just like, and risking their lives mm-hmm. in so many ways where it's just like, you're praying that those fly systems are, are holding you up. And like, I set pieces were like falling on mm-hmm. people and like crushing them. Like, mm-hmm. it's terrifying. I, my anxiety, no thank you. So many of the seats were, uh, many of the houses, the performances were sold out and this theater held... 1932 mm-hmm. seats mm-hmm. um but like we said earlier if they were ever going to make profits back of the show they would need to sell out that many seats for seven years straight mm-hmm. for every single show so you know <laughs> i i don't think that was going to happen ever and yet another reason the show did stand the test of time was because or didn't stand the test of time excuse me is because like we were saying the book and the score was just shit mm-hmm. um bono and the edge just didn't know how to write musical theater they were like let's give it a go and it just they didn't know how to do it so they were throwing in like dance songs mm-hmm. that just didn't make sense like the the goblin the mm-hmm. green goblin song just like 
yeah, it's fun, but it's like, it just, it didn't fit. It was just weird. And there was no songs that people would leave humming, knowing, Mm -hmm. and like always having that in their brain. And I think that that's like the telltale of like a good musical. Even if it's not great, like if you can leave singing one song in your head, you've, you've done your work, I feel like as a composer, but like. If, if you're leaving a, a huge spectacle show like that without knowing one song, like, then what? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? As we were saying before, Julie Taymor just decided to change the, completely change the, the origin story mm-hmm. of, of Spider-Man. So it wasn't even Marvel's Spider-Man. It was Julie Taymor's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. She just wanted, she took out all the re- relatability of why Spider-Man is so beloved by by its readers. Um, and it, honestly, I'm sure it pissed off so many comic book stands. Mm-hmm. Like, th- that's that's a whole group of of mouth breathers that I don't want to have. I agree. Can you imagine as like, one changing of those that mouth, origin? As one of those mouth breathers? <laughs> Absolutely not. I deal with them every day on my other show. Absolutely not. No, I've... I'm just like, oh my god! Like sometimes I get artistic changes, but to change the origin story of Spider-Man, yeah. you might be out your damn mind, Julie Taymor. Well, and what I always find funny is this is right after the Disney acquisition of Marvel. So like Disney had oh Disney wanted they wanted nothing to do with this. Yeah, like they couldn't distance themselves from it because they couldn't stop it. But like, yeah. let me tell you, and they, I think it's funny because it's across the street from the New Am. Like they are staring oh. at it. Like they are door to door with each other, and it's just very. Very funny. And I bet door to door, like Julie was like, look, that's my other great work. Like, right, right. New, oh, no. New Amsterdam is, is, um, pa- well, it would have been, a, is pa- Aladdin, it would have right? been that- Poppins at that point. Poppins oh, was okay. still running. Yeah. A Lion King and moved up to the Minskoff. Li- yeah. No. Yeah. Lion King. But there was a Lion King a billboard right out front. So she still got to st- stare at her own greatness, if you will. And then even with like, so Arachne at first was supposed to be the villain, Mm -hmm. but then she kind of became the catalyst that Mm -hmm. made Peter like, Peter like want to be Spider-Man. When in the movies and in in the comic books, it's Uncle Ben. It's him with with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like the main through line of all of, of all um, Spider-Man like content. Yeah. Like. And so for that not to come from like, and that's, again, that's another source of relatability of what makes Spider-Man so like heartwarming is that everything is so human. So when you take that out and give it to like a goddess, you're like, well, where's the humanity? Like why, then why do we care about Spider-Man at all? Mm -hmm. Um, Because then he's a demigod. Like, okay, well, why do we care about a demigod? We don't like that's, that's dumb. Like, like that's why Thor and now we're getting into Marvel. Like, it's just like, it's just a different story. Yeah. It's a completely different story to tell. Enough of the book was just torn apart by different reviewers and things were trying to be rewritten and over and over again that the team was just finally somehow got rid of Julie. And they were just like, you fired, you're gone. Um, and she made a big stink, mm-hmm. sued, which is another reason the show cost so much money because of the mm-hmm. the court proceedings and stuff like that. But that's when they brought on Roberto Aguera um, Sacasa. And he did what he could with mm-hmm. changing it and making it as like comic booky as we were talking about earlier as possible. But like there was only so much 
he could do at that point. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of was what it was. Mm-hmm. And any interview you see with them, everybody, it's like, Nobody has one good thing to say. Like, they're just, well, the only thing is they're like, well, if Julie was never involved, maybe. It's like, well, we don't. And and she was always, so we can't change that now. But, like, even Bono and the Edge, they're just like, this is, this is shit. Like, nobody has a good thing to say. They're all cringed out by this work. Well, it's also because they pretty much got their silence bought. So at the same time they reworked the scripts, they had ghostwriters come in and overhaul that score. Um, but oh, they still got, oh, mm, it's a, Wait, okay. it's a little hidden tidbit. Um, ooh, ooh, I, bu- I believe it's I in the book. It. There's an incredible book that's been written about Spider-Man. But again, this was another industry rumor at the time that it was one of those things that along with, cause originally they had brought, you know, Roberto was brought in as like a ghostwriter and then he got credit. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it was said that like. Bono and the Edge were pretty much bought and their names got to stay on it. But then they had people come in to overhaul what they could of the score because the wow. score was very different in that third version of the show that actually ended up being the show version that opened. Um, wow. I believe that they talk about it in the book a little bit. I need to. I've only started it. It's super good. Um but I believe that was a, a rumor of the time. And I believe it was true that because it needed to get overhauled so much. But I mean, that happens all the time. Like this was making like this was as social media was booming for the theater, like blogs and everything. So like mm-hmm. you woke up every day to new Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. Like you woke up every day about it. And we were eating it alive being in New York. Yeah. Like eating it up. Like it was... Hey. Oh, hey, Jeff. What's going on, guys? Oh, you know, talking about Superman. Oh, cool. I could talk about Superman. I could talk some more about Superman. We know. I'll bet a few people would want to get in on this. I'm down. You know it. That sounds like fun. I'll do it. Cool. Let's do it. We can call the show Men of Steel. And you can find it at certainpov.com. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Yay. Can you imagine if they had a TikTok back then? Oh my god! Oh my god! All the all the the TikTokers. It would be it'd be Leah Michelle can't read gate all over again. But like before. <laughs> but I mean, what's Spider-Gate. what's also funny is like when Spider Man's one workshop happened, there'd been a Batman musical that had been being workshopped, yes. and yes. Spider Man just got the hit because the movies were doing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like just pre Marvel Studios. Like Iron Man had just come out, I believe, in two thousand nine was when Iron Man came out. So like we were getting the emergence of the MCU at this point, which is funny because technically for into the Spider Verse, this version of Peter Parker exists. Mm-hmm. So we could honestly mm-hmm. at some point get a Spider Musical callback. As I've come all the way back around. But yeah, it is just, it's one of those wild <laughs> things that at this point they were willing to do whatever they could to make, to get the show open and make any amount of money they could off of the show. Um, yeah. Cause also a little tidbit at no point during the show, was it ever safe enough for the, the backstage folks to not be getting hazard pay. So they got hazard mm. pay every night because it was, it's a, one of those shows that were like, if you stepped outside of your quick change box, you could be you could be killed by a piece of scenery. Like it was oh, yeah. always so unsafe. Oh, we didn't even say that. The I didn't even say that the oh, New York we, Department yeah. of Health finally got yeah. involved. There were two citations for workplace safety. OSHA fined them for $12,600 for three more violations. Like they were just getting 
find of the wazoo. I, I'm like, what are they? At, at, at some point, I'm like, what are they trying to prove? But then eventually, I mean, they finally opened. They had the gala. They like finally opened when um, they finally opened on June 14th, uh, 2011, when they had started their previews uh, November 28th, 2010. And at that point, they got up to $75 million. And oof. And then after uh, 1,600 and no, 1,066 performances, God knows what else happened that we never heard about, mm-hmm. um, and and a whole lot of trauma. <laughs> um, Spider-Man closed on January fourth, two thousand fourteen, with Tony Awards for the costuming, and the set design, of course, mm-hmm. Julie, um, or at least I would think that. Yeah, I would think that she. Yeah, involved, she gets at least she gets credit for it, um, but there were associate designers who were actual Broadway designers. But yeah, she gets. It's much like Lion King. She gets credit for it because she does the mm-hmm. the like she'll do a rendering and whatnot, and yeah, and that's not even including the like major injuries that like yeah. really like because Chris Hankey I think was the biggest one. He, Is that the the guy that's leg got pinned down? Uh, no, he's the one who fell ten feet into the stage. <gasps> yes, and he broke multiple ribs. Yeah, and he was an old. I don't want to say older actor, but he was older than a lot of the rest of the cast because he'd been a Broadway dancer for years. Um, yeah. and I think it was just that, and it was no one's fault, but it was. Oh, I believe why there was. I, know, a, I saw the video. There yeah. was like the the rope. The, the thing that was like his safety this tension line just snapped it just wasn't mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't connected to anything yep. and he just went down yeah he went down he almost died car. yeah he almost died that's why everybody says that there were deaths on the show and what's funny is ultimately I think there were five cataclysmic injuries including Natalie's concussion uh well yeah because she was also in a giant metal crown like if I learned anything when I uh, did the tour with the Rockettes that like if you're wearing a headpiece that is metal and you get any sort of like a like uh nobody can see what I'm doing, but the Rockettes do this bit of choreography when they're in their snowflake costume and their arms go straight up and then pull down at a very hard angle. And because they have very extreme formations, a lot of them, their elbows would slam into the crown of the girl next to them. I think when we were in Atlanta, like six of the girls got concussions in one week because of the choreography and the staging. Um, And so it's one of those things that like, depending on the costume piece you're wearing, but like it is, I will say this show changed a lot of workplace laws that had, which is really funny because uh, we uh, just did Starlight Express um, that really set into motion a lot of equity safety procedures. And then Spider-Man yeah. was kind of the next one that came through that just kind of yeah. really polished her out and really changed a lot of kind of how the rehearsal room has to be run, how safety checks have and to then- happen. <laughs> And then you get shows that go non-union that were good on the union tour, like Peter Pan 360. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, many people were just not properly strapped into their harnesses. Yep. And it's interesting that the safety regulations that um, disappear when the union status is yep. taken away from a show. Yep. That's why it's always good but, to um, ask if it's a union or non-union tour. Exactly. But, um, I mean, aside from everything... That was said 
um, and that happened with the show, like we said, of all the performances and the years of work that it did give people, along with a lot of emotional baggage. Um, one of the, the writers, Glenn Berger, who was with it the whole time, um, on a podcast, he said, what, what gets lost in the story is how many people actually wound up loving the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is according to him, too. Um, for a lot of people, because it was Spider-Man, it was their first musical ever, and for some, it was a kind of a gateway drug. They were turned on to Broadway musicals in a way that they hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I think no truer words can be said. No one has ever seen a show like mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Probably will never see another show like it to that extent. Mm-hmm. And Maddie, that, that is the tale of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. The wild ride that it was. My sources were uh, a great video by Wait in the Wings um, called The Most Dangerous Musical, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Broadway Vault, of course, an article from the BBC. Um, Wikipedia, go support Wikipedia. And a Wired article all about that Something that's huge, too, was right near the end, they were planning. They'd already made the announcements for it. They had planned cities. They were announcing a $30 million. So I think that's probably where the number that I threw out at the beginning, it was like $95 was they were supposed to do an arena tour. So they were going to go play arenas. They probably would have done better in arenas, honestly. So it would have been big enough for them to build a show that would have cost them like $30 million to build and produce. Um, But they, to keep it right, they were like, we're going to be able to make that $95 back much quicker because yeah. you can put 10,000 people in an arena and see that show. I mean, look at the Chromatica yeah. Ball that is just ended in Miami. Um, and that, like, it was like, I mean, they going do that with now with Marvel. Mm-hmm. What is it? Marvel Live? Or Marvel, Marvel Universe Live. Yeah, it's Marvel Feld. Universe. Yeah, Feld does that. Um, they do Disney on Ice and stuff too. Um, yeah, it's, it's just so strange. And of course that ended and then Vegas was supposed to happen. They were going to rebuild a whole new theater just for it, all these things. But they, the problem was they kept going back to Marvel for money and Disney slash Marvel was like, you can get wrecked. Like, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely. You literally (laughs) bought the licensing from us. So like shag off, we're not coming in to help. Cause I know at one point they wanted Disney theatrics to come in and like co-produce the show, but they wanted them to like take on all of the cost of production and replacements. And, and because that's what Julie Taymor is a very shrewd businesswoman. She's very money minded Mm. in the way that she wants to, you know, But, you know, this is also this is when we started having a conversation about how difficult of a person she is to work with, how demanding she is as an artist. And if you notice, Julie Taymor has not done much since then because of this. I know Mm -hmm. theater for new audiences. She did a midsummer that also was fraught with issues. Um, And it's just a thing like. We yeah, who's don't, the common denominator here? We don't need those people. Like, it's even come out that, like, Diane Paulus after Waitress was just a monster, which is heartbreaking because oh. I love most of the things she's done. But, like, it's time we get rid of these people. And those the, the difficulty of this is what cost a lot of people. Like, I, I don't know if Chris Hankey ever has gone back to work another Broadway show because of this. Um, Natalie Mendoza almost, she was like, I never thought I'd come back to Broadway. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, Moulin Rouge is a very different show, but like, I don't blame, I don't blame anyone. You know, it is one of those. I mean, I'm sure she was like, do I really have to be up in a swing? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'd rather not be up in a swing. Thank you. It's also now like talking about things. It's like, why do we produce shows the way we do? Because like actors are really required to do some crazy fucking things. But then we also have to think about the technicians, like even talking about Wicked, one wrong one backstage because like there's the show cues that are being called for shows that big and then there's also the like run cues that are being called if those are called incorrectly on like something like wicked someone can actually die um there's a People reason have gotten really hurt in wicked that oh, well the stage down. door like that that the going through for this uh for for when we talked about starlight just going through like broadway world blogs and just seeing because Unfortunately, also afterwards, PR teams get to kind of go through and really suppress what is available online. Like even with Spider-Man, mm-hmm. finding a lot of the stories now almost 10 years later or just over 10 years later, that's insane to think about. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah, really it was kind hard. Of hard to find them. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's why I went off that video because mm-hmm. I was like, well, this person was mm-hmm. able to find all this research that yeah. I'm just going to go off them. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And that's why we appreciate if you all go over to Patreon and subscribe to our Patreon because then we can pay uh, uh, researchers for when we start season two in 2023. Because yeah. uh, it's a lot for Em and I to do, but we do it because we love you guys. But Em, you did such I'm a good so- job with that. Thank you. It was nice to talk about something that wasn't murdery. I know, even though it could have almost gotten murdery. <laughs> Although it wasn't that far off. No, yeah, and it was it was it also got to be terrifying after a while cuz it was like what news are we going to wake up to? We were all concerned at one point cuz it was like we're going to wake up and find out that an actor died. Like yeah. we're it, that's just going to happen with the show and it was just and how do you go into work with that like mentality mm-hmm. of like could be me today? Like that's terrifying. I mean, but you're like I just want to sing and dance. But also, if you're getting hazard pay, which I don't know what it is now, mm. I know what it was then, and it was a lot of money. But like, how much? It's an example. So for me right now, so like again, we're recording this in September. This will be out in December. But it's the idea of what we just went through with Funny Girl because the transition from mm-hmm. Beanie to Leah just happened, and yep. then Leah immediately went out of the show with COVID, and then like a performance kind later, nine swing nine people are out of the show, and there's not enough people to swing. So one of the actresses that had just been hired as a new swing literally was seeing her. A like illed mother who was on her deathbed and was convinced to come back and go on with an hour's worth of work <gasps> and a costume fitting in her dressing room and like the woman did it and it was amazing but then there was a lot of the discourse online of it's like who are we who are we doing this for like exactly. let's acknowledge that you're charging a the show must go on for what but why why this is one of those things like um I'm talking about the the character of Veronica that's on TikTok of the actor Wage. I love her. I want to get her on the pod so bad yeah. just to talk to her. Uh, she's actually in Orlando right now at Disney on vacation, and I want to go track her down. <gasps> but um, it's it's that idea of the show must go on to me is the oldest adage of toxic mm-hmm. workplace environment for mm-hmm. theater. For why? What reason? Why oh, must why? the show exactly. go on? Is it because you're charging $1,000 a ticket and you don't want to have to refund them or have people that may never be back in New York again mm-hmm. having to rearrange those tickets? So you're going to – because then also it's like if I was paying $900 for a ticket 
one, I would much rather see Julie Bankos than Leah Michelle. But also, like, if I came for Leah. Yeah. And she was suddenly out of the show. And then you've got people walking around on stage with binders in their hands. Like, this isn't a city center production. Like, at the no. end of the day, the the producers are the only ones benefiting from that. Because you know, yeah. a lot of those ensemble girls who are all over TikTok from Funny Girl, it is their Broadway debut. They're making probably yeah. equity minimum right now. Yep. And it's not mm -hmm. like equity has fought at all for actors during COVID because I'm no. sorry, equity minimum should be doubled right now. Yeah. Like someone's going to come for the, us. The dues should be less. The dues and should be the less. The fact that they made mm -hmm. and asking for dues during COVID, get fucked. Yeah, get wrecked, you all. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. if your union does not have enough money because you all haven't had the forethought for this. Get wrecked. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, I'm sure there's Insane. people are telling Manny, you just don't understand. But I worked in and around the union for long enough to know that, like, they've impeded so much getting done. And, yes, while they've protected the actors for so long, mm -hmm. look at look at what's happened with, like, the waitress tours this past year of, like, the one oh. tour going, like... Like, Ins I'm sorry, they're getting, mm -hmm. uh, getting just a taste of the pay mm -hmm. for the exact same amount of that exact same amount of work well, and, 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 and quicker turnovers mm -hmm. and, and rougher travel mm -hmm. situation. Well, it's, I even talk about the SpongeBob tour that went non-union and went out just before COVID and literally had run like two weeks of the Pantages. Like mm -hmm. the first contract, all of those people got for that casting, it was like 750 or 800 a week, 800 a week per diem. And then by the time the final like round of callbacks and stuff happened, it was like 550 a week um, principal salary like 550 a week per diem and they're playing the Pantages theater for mm -hmm. four weeks. They're then going to play the fabulous Fox. They're playing Denver. They're like in literally some theaters directly after Hamilton was in the theaters. And those yeah. kids are making 550 a week. Meanwhile, Nickelodeon and the producers are charging 125 to $150 for those tickets Speak in 4,000 seat theaters. I'm sorry. Get fucked. Yeah. Like it's also one of those things. Cause it's like, like and I know it's like that wardrobe supervisor had to be making what like six fifty a week probably plus per diem, like to deal with all of those costumes. When if it had been, mm -hmm. if it had been a union show, that would have probably been like three grand a week that wardrobe supervisor would have been making. Again, these are all numbers I'm pulling out of my ass from general knowledge of working in and around. But it's just no, like even even the lame is tour that is union was not. I saw. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I sent in an audition thing. It was mm -hmm. below a thousand mm -hmm. for a principal role, and I went, "Are we sure that this is a a union show?" And, and then, like, oh, this is. And then look at how thing. young that cast is. Because they have been very active on social media. And let me tell you, I love Les Mis. I will always go to see a production Let me tell you, if I got cast and I'd be like, on my own, bitch, I'd be like. I can hear the people saying. The tigers. Yes. Sing about those tigers. They come at night, girl. Red they and black. Come at night, honey. Girl, uh, you know, I would go back to musical theater for Les Mis. There are a few shows that I would always go back to musical theater for. Les Mis is one of them. Yes, God. But it's just. <laughs> yes, God. Yes, God. Uh, you know, it's just. <laughs> We are not holding equity to the same standard or even like for costume designers there. Uh, I'm not a union costume designer yet. Um, union costume designers are part of the scenic union and mm -hmm. typically make a third or one third of what scenic designers are making. 
because costume design and wardrobe is still seen as women's work. And they go, but it's, you know, you're just, and I was like, yes, scenic designers do beautiful giant sets. But think about a show like My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady has nine settings but every scene has about like if we're talking that that most recent city center produ- or um Lincoln Center production 30 people on stage per scene that's 30 mm-hmm. full costumes and that story cannot be told without the class yep. identification through yep. the costumes yeah absolutely or even when you got shows like honeymoon in vegas or even like i'm working on jersey boys right now just thinking about the sheer side like the amount of clothes that are in that show even though we've only got you know 16 17 actors in that show with swings it's just the thing that these things are still happening constantly and we're Mm -hmm. just having to put up with it because everybody is so afraid of not getting work but like the actors aren't stepping up to also equity isn't properly representing their stage managers like this is just a thing Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be called actors equity anymore um i do love that the strippers in vegas are trying to join actors equity to have them be represented like it's so funny and like i hope they can (laughs) unionize because those girls deserve the best but it's also like it's also like looking at how equity treats theme park workers who have to be union at places like disney world but it's just you know it's just across the board we need to hold because the producers, most of the time, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it with Raka. The producers are just money people. They don't know anything creative. They have no creative background. They don't even understand the business that we're in. And then you've got producers that are like Ken Davenport, who are here to literally profit on theater no matter what happens. And it's just... It's just a shame because there are producers out there yeah. that are doing everything mm-hmm. they can to make to make life easier and to do what... Like, I feel like the producers of Moulin Rouge are really good. Like, I haven't heard one mm-hmm. bad thing about them. And, like, it's just, like, there are good producers out there. But it's just, like, there's so many rotten apples mm-hmm. that, like, some of these branches are just rotting. Because yeah. it's just, like, there's not enough loud noise from the good people. Mm-hmm. Um, which, it shouldn't have to be their job. But it's, mm-hmm. they should just be able to just do their job properly. Yeah. But it's just a shame because you're, like, well... Hopefully I get a good producer because mm-hmm. I need the work. So I'm going to take work when yeah. it's offered. Like, it's just, it's such a hard balance to make. And mm-hmm. to align your morals with them is sometimes difficult. And this is even for my folks that are working or go to regional theater a lot. Ask your regional people how much they're getting paid. Check in to see if there's been OSHA violations at your local theater. If there's workplace violations, like hold your regional theaters accountable because there your money speaks like oceans because it uh, like two people lo- dropping their subscription could make a huge difference. So hold your regional theaters accountable. Um, yeah. I, every, the most amount of change always starts on a smaller mm-hmm. level. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like voting in your state mm-hmm. primary primaries mm-hmm. is always more important than, I mean, vote always, but yeah. like, it's always more important to start on the the smaller level because that speaks more volumes yeah. to the bigger levels yeah. too. Goes all the way up to the top. Goes all the way to the top, as Georgia, as Georgia would say. Well, M, <laughs> this was the final episode of season one. <gasps> Daisy. I don't want you speaking right now. Daisy, Daisy just feels so passionately about that. She just feels so passionately. But um, this has been an incredible ride. Thank you so much for coming with me. Thanks for joining the ride with me as well. I've had so much fun. I can't wait for the future. (gasps) Me too. 
me too. We've got we've got some cool ideas. We do, we do. And but I will tell everyone they're gonna have to watch our social media, watch our Patreon mm-hmm. because uh, we can blame this on me. My life is a little in flux right now as I am living on the high seas, but we are committed to bringing another season to you all, uh, to, uh, even, I think we've done amazing with our quality this season, but upping it, it bringing more to you all and, uh, you know, uh, blast, blast other true crime podcasts that you think, uh, we should, you know, do crossover episodes with, or if you would like to yes. see us, if you would like to see us at places like Broadway con or obsessed fest, or let, obsessed fest. let their people know. Cause I know Em and I would love to go if it's we're for like, no other, we're down. if it's for no <laughs> other reason go. for me than to give everyone uh merch and just meet everyone and hear your spooky stories. That's all. You and know. I just want to get on the stage and be like, Hey, hi. <laughs> yes. Get to I thrive it. in a live. Can I thrive in a live situation? I can't imagine because people have no idea how much I edit down our episodes that I, I I the pure fuckery that would be a live show for us I could not imagine. M, I will see you next time. I'll see you next time. I love you so much. I love you. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.